Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1344, air date October 31st, 2023. Crash. John, are okay, you ready? Go ahead. Here we go. Hold on one second, Mike. One second. Okay. I'm just going to move this around so I can see here. Uh, John, are we ready? Yes, sir. We're ready. Yep. I think we, we can go. Go ahead, Mike. All right. Here we go. Welcome to today's interview here on Brighton.com. I'm Mike Adams, the founder of Brighton. And today we are joined by our returning guest, Dr. Shiva, who's running for the United States presidency. And his website is Shiva for, which is the numeral for president.com. So Shiva for president.com. And he is running as an independent. And uh, last time we had him on, he was pretty outspoken, which we love that here on brighttown.com. And I will tell you today, he's going to be outspoken again, and he's not censored. And we, we, we support free speech and also ideas based on freedom and liberty. So welcome, Dr. Shiva, to the show today. How are you doing, Mike? I am, uh, I'm, I'm a little freaked out, actually about on in the world and uh i'm being called an anti-semite for saying that it's wrong to bomb women and children so that's that's how i'm doing dr shiva how are you doing i'm doing good mike and you know at our last meeting mike you know i bashed the hell out of trump and kennedy and i i, I know don't take this the wrong way but after that you said kennedy was a um a big hero you know an american hero and i was going to call you up on that but the reality is mike whether it's you or every average american who really loves this country um What's happened is the issue of Zionism, if there's one issue that exposes um, those people who are truly American and those people who hate America, frankly, hate Jews, uh, hate uh, the rights of self-determination, it is on this issue of Zionism. Kennedy is a freaking Zionist. Trump is a Zionist. Every presidential candidate running is a rabid Zionist. And I think um, it's about time. Uh, don't forget the Speaker of the House, too. The Speaker of the House is a nut job, okay? He's a Christian Zionist. And what I'd like to do, Mike, in this conversation is to give the American people a final, a real chance to put someone who's an anti-Zionist, because to me, anti-Zionist, uh, articulating it with boldness and courage and taking a clear stand distinguishing it from anti-Semitism, exposing that Zionism is racism that serves imperial interests, is uh, really the thing that separates the men from the boys, a woman from the girls, and is what's going to save the, be it the United States or save the Palestinian people. Because to me, Mike, this is an issue that has gone on, at least in my lifetime, for nearly 40 years. You know, I've been um, a, a ground activist, as you know, um, fighting for truth, freedom, health. You know, 1980s, when I first came to MIT, one of the most um, insane Zionists came to Boston, a guy by the name of Mir Kahana. Um, at that time, Ariel Sharon had uh, taken tanks into Gaza. I mean, this has been a recurring process that's gone on every 10 to 15 years. And every 10 to 15 years, activists come and they'll raise the slogan, ceasefire now, free Palestine, don't fund. You know, these very nice, uh, quote unquote, liberal sounding positions, but they haven't gotten anywhere. Um, and those in power know that they're not going to get anywhere. People protest. Um, but the messaging, the core of uh, what we actually bring to the public and educate public must be much more sharpened. 
And, and that sharpness must go into discussing what is Zionism, that Zionism is racism, that Zionism has nothing to do with Judaism. And in fact, Zionism, Zionists collaborated with the Nazis during World War II to butcher Jews. And we need, I'd like to have a deep discussion, Mike, that, um, the, well, let's, hold on, let, let's yeah. do that. But, uh, let me interject. I'm, I'm glad you're, you're making the distinction between Judaism and Zionism. That that's really critical for people to understand because we're seeing a lot of young Jews in America who are completely opposed to Zionism, which as you said, is a philosophy that is rooted in racial supremacy. I mean, that's, that's its founding and that's how it has been inflicted upon other people, especially since the Nakba, you know, 1948. But I, I got to say, you know, it, in my defense, Dr. Shiva, and please, please pardon my yeah. ignorance, but like many Americans, I had no idea about the history of Zionism until October 7th. I say, I, wow. I, I really had no idea. Wow, man, I didn't know that. All right. I didn't know that. I mean, it's not my wheelhouse. It's not something yeah. that I was focused on, you know? Well, well Mike, so I've I, I, learned a lot of things in the last few weeks that are frankly very shocking and disturbing. And I've also seen Netanyahu and others quote the Bible saying God told us to go murder and slaughter these innocent women and children and to kill the babies of the Palestinians. And I'm freaking out. Yeah. Well, Mike, I think uh, you're par exemplar then, Mike, because you're, a, I know you're, a, you love this country, you love America, you, you uh, come from, uh, hard work, you're an entrepreneur, and you in many ways represent the average ordinary American who who uh, believes in American values. So I think my hope is that this discussion will um, serve to deepen your education, but frankly, everyone listening. And to me, it's very, very personal, Mike, because when you look at what Zionism is, when you look at what Brahminism is, a caste system in India, when you compare it to what Christian Zionism is, um, uh, in fact, Nazism, all these political ideologies. They have typically um, done something very powerful. They take the concept of people wanting their own nationalism, right? Their own sense of identity. They throw in a little bit of religion, but it's wrapped in a political ideology. And the purpose of that political ideology is to separate people from other people, but not in the interests of what I call national self-determination, a, a righteous progressive nationalism, but actually uh, to peel away people uh, ultimately to profit. So I wanna walk through that, Mike, if that's okay. Please go ahead. Yeah, so I wanna connect it on a personal level, Mike. Uh, people may know, you know, first of all, I'm running for president of the United States. And to me, this uh, decision has been a part of a long journey that started for me, Mike, back in India. You know, I grew up in India. Um, uh, in 1963. Uh, I came to the United States in 1970. Now, what's important to understand there is that India has something called the Brahmanical caste system. Call it Brahmanism, Mike. And Brahmanism's view is that a small set of people are better than the rest of other people. So they took a little piece of Hinduism and they the concepts of karma, and they contorted it to create this uh, cultural nationalist view that a small set of people are better than others. And this is what they called, you know, Hinduism, but it isn't Hinduism. It's actually Brahmanism where the caste system basically says that, you know, if you're born into this family birth lottery, you're a Brahmin and therefore you're better than everyone else at a very systemic level. And this was your karma, Mike. They took the concepts of karma, 
which was really about action and reaction, which was right action reached the right results. And they contorted that to make it the view about one set of people are better than others. Does that make sense, Mike? So that was a cast yes. system. And yes, this, and then that that permeated all of society. So that special group of people ruled over other people and treated those other people like subhumans. A subhuman to this day. To to this day. So when I was born, right, the idea was that I remember going to uh, after I finished playing soccer to one of my friends' home, and the mother spit at me, called me an equivalent of the N word, right, and said I couldn't come in and gave me water in a different cup. And that's when I realized what the, you know, what's going on here. And I asked my mom, and she said. Oh, when I used to go to the well to get water, they'd shoot me away like a pig. We're this cast. And this is a four years old, Mike. So this was quite, and I can still remember that day. So I was quite very, very upset. Uh, the sadness in me still comes now, but more interested in understanding why this occurred. Where did this injustice occur? And that really is what got me into politics, Mike. I studied everything I could starting at that age, believe it or not. India in those days used to have these little comic books and the comic books were about political history. It's fascinating. And so I wanted to understand the system and that journey that began 55 years ago, and I'm 59 now to today, has been journey to understand the systems of oppression, the Indian caste system. So when we came to the United States in 1970, Mike, you know, my parents were hard working class people. We first settled in Patterson, New Jersey, one of the poorest, predominantly African-American cities in the United States, went to public school. And my parents, whatever money they earned, Mike, they would move to these better public school systems. So we went to, obviously there were all white people, I mean, all black people in, in Patterson. Then we went to Clifton, mixed working class neighborhood, Persephone, mixed working class neighborhood. But we also, uh, I was in, you know, my uh, sixth grade teacher was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Roth. He had been in the Navy, he was Jewish, but he was a working class Jew. You know, he was on one of the ships that uh, from the distance he saw the, uh, the bomb drop on Hiroshima. But this guy was a strong working class Jew. Uh, he was my sixth grade teacher. I learned so much from him. In the last two, three years of high school, Mike, my parents wanted us to even get a better education. So we moved to a town called Livingston, New Jersey. People should look it up. In fact, uh, Ivanka and Jared Trump moved there. And I felt very much out of place there, Mike. I was the only dark skinned Indian kid among 4,000 predominantly Jewish kids. And in the air, and these were very wealthy kids, very different than uh, Persephone, where, you know, the previous town. And you, you can see a big distinction between the working class Jews in Persephone and these uh, bourgeois Jews and their parents, Mike, around, uh, I think, uh, sophomore year would send them to Israel. And they would come back, Mike, wanting to freaking kill every Arab, completely uh, culturally trained in Zionism. And so I was exposed to this because I was one of the best students, a good, uh, in fact, a, a very good sportsman. And uh, there were many, many instances, Mike, where I was discriminated because only Jewish people are the chosen people of God. Wow, how is this Indian kid doing better than everyone? And I could get into the levels of discrimination that I endured. Um, but the bottom line is I came to understand what Zionism is. This is, you know, when I'm 16, 17, 18. So everyone needs to understand that Zionism is anti-Semitism. So if you are anti-Zionist and someone calls you an anti-Semite, I'm going to give you the actual historical tools to understand why this is complete nonsense. Zionism is racism that serves imperial interests, power, profit, and control. So let's sort of peel, peel this back, back, Mike, because I've been studying this for a while. So what is Zionism? Well, believe it or not, um, 
there's 70 million Christian uh, Zionists in the United States, Christians actually. You know, if you look at the Bible Belt, about 80% of them are Christian Zionists. Christian Zionists comes from this eschatological view of Christianity, which actually goes back around 1600s, Mike. Prior to the 1600s, when you really look at the teachings, even from the time of Martin Luther, the idea, and I'm not saying I support any of these ideas, but I'm just sort of presenting it, everyone should do their own research, was that a Jewish person had to convert to Christianity and then you know, they would have salvation. Between 1600s and 1800s, a form of Christian Zionism appears, which says, oh, if the Jews go back to their homeland, right, uh, they still have to convert, and then they establish themselves in their homeland, then they can reach salvation. By the 1800s, um, uh, uh, I believe the guy's name was Wilhelm Heckler, this became this concept, all we had to do, all Jews had to do was go back to uh, Jerusalem, set, set themselves up, and they would reach salvation. Now, this was a Christian Zionist view, it did not exist before. So you have Heckler over here, and it was just sort of fate, you could say, connects with a guy called Theodore Herzl. Now, who's Theodore Herzl? One of the uh, contextual things we need to understand is in Europe, there was a very interesting phenomenon going on, right? Europe was had different religions and different races of people. You know, we were, at that time, Europe was living in the world of feudalism, right? Kings and lords. Now, it so turns out that bourgeois Jews, very wealthy Jews, were the ones who advised the kings on finance and usury, and they were the bankers. This is not to say there was not a broad mass of working class Jews. And there was discrimination. There was pogroms that would take place against a broad mass uh, by the Cossacks, quote unquote Cossacks of these, um, of, of these broad mass of Jews. Now, one way to think about this, Mike, is if you're living among, among the elites, and let's say the subjects that you have are people of all, all different races and all different religions, the elites always want to make sure those people of these different backgrounds do not rise up against that. Very similar to when the sure. uh, American, when the first white colonists came here, there were the wealthy colonists. They had a policy, and there's, this has been written about quite extensively, that the poor white colonists were made af afraid of the black slaves, who were made afraid of the Native Americans, because they didn't want all of these people ganging up on them. Okay, Mike? So they bred fear among white colonists to fear the blacks and fear the Native Americans, etc. So this is what I call a form of uh, cultural nationalism that is bred so you keep people spread apart. In India, for example, um, it is very easy to start a race war or a religious war. A Hindu politician, if he wants to get elected, will go among Hindus and say, see, the Muslims hate you. And you can rile people up same way with the Muslim politician. So the concept of keeping people, everyday people divided by race and religion has been an extraordinary, powerful way for those in power uh, to stay in power. So in Europe, getting back to Europe, there was the question, you know, the Jews that we're talking about were in Europe. They were white. They weren't, you know, dark-skinned Arab Jews. We're talking about white European Jews who'd been there for 300 years. And when they were feeling discrimination, there was two trends, Mike. One trend were working-class Jews, fighters who were part of trade unions and working-class movements. They said, no, we're Europeans, we're Jews, we're going to fight for our rights, all right? We have the right to be here, our rights to national self-determination here. The other more 
uh, reactionary trend was this emerging Zionist movement. In fact, it was called Zionism by Theodore Herzl. And so Herzl's view was, well, we should go to a homeland. And his meeting with Heckler gave him this ideological references, these sort of Christian religious references, Mike, very much like how Brahminism took religious references from Hinduism and justified why you can um, support a type of cultural nationalism. So fundamentally, Herzl's meeting with Heckler and so on resulted, um, finally, uh, they attempted to work with the Germans to get the right to a homeland. Eventually, the British gave them the right to a homeland. But we have to understand that there were many Zionist conferences held, the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. The sixth Zionist conference, one of the decisions was made to have the homeland be in Uganda, Mike. Okay? Really? Yes. Argentina was another choice. And finally, the Balfour Declaration gets signed, and the Zionist movement is given a place in Palestine, which was Palestinians were living. 97% were, in fact, Arabs. So this is very important to understand. Now, why? Right, but, but how can they be given a place when right. the givers didn't own it? Exactly. Great question. Great question. So yeah. we should put giving in, in double quotes. Um, so what happened here was uh, Britain, as everyone needs to understand, um, Imperial Britain, Colonial Britain, uh, um, always prospered by dividing and ruling people. Divide and rule, Mike. So when they went across Africa, right? I mean, you had these African kings had very, they had their borders very clearly out. And Britain came and drew random lines called nation states. And it had these people fighting against each other. And as they fought against each other, Britain on the back end um, used those uh, divisions to seize control of diamonds, right? Um, all sorts of resources. Um, that was a goal here. Just one point I want to make sure is that people understand when I call this racism, Zionism is built on a political ideology of the chosen people, that they have the right to go be occupiers of other people's land. Remember, Nazism was a political ideology that it said they are a superior race, so they have the right to go occupy other people's land. Unfortunately, Christian Zionism, the concept of manifest destiny, had this same concept, right? That we are going to help the heathens. And this is a very powerful philosophy because using this notion of you are better, that you have a manifest destiny, it justifies butchering of, let's say the Aborigines in Australia, butchering of the Native Americans, same in Canada. And it's very interesting, Canada, the United States, and Australia, I'm talking about the elites there, all support Zionism. It comes down to this core ideology of cultural nationalism. It is also important. Well, right? look, let me interject. Uh, this all makes sense so far, but let me interject. What, one of the things that's been really shocking for me to observe over the last few weeks is many, many top officials of Israel actually demonstrating their support for genocide and ethnic cleansing. For example, the former ambassador to Italy talking about how they need to completely wipe out Gaza. Netanyahu himself, uh, Gallant, the leader of the IDF. I mean, they, they're, they're not hiding behind euphemisms. They are directly saying that we are the chosen people and that we have to go wipe out the Amalek, I, I think was the term that Netanyahu used. We have to wipe out these other people and that's the only way that we can survive as a people. Now, it seems like, from my point of view, again, 
I have not been aware of all this for, for much time. But from my point of view, I, I can't ever recall uh, the, the Israeli leaders speaking out in such a way in, in, in direct support of genocidal actions and, and calling for the mass slaughter of innocent civilians. It seems like, am I wrong? Did I just not notice? Yeah, before? yeah. So, so or, Mike, I, I think it's important to understand if you go look at Menachem Begin, if you go look at Ariel Sharon, all of these people have used these kinds of genocidal words. Um, from, I mean, as far as I remember, from in 1980, <clears throat> when you had Gaza steamrolled over, you can go look at the 2000s. It's been a constant policy. What has occurred, Mike, is uh, Israel has a parliamentary system of coalitions. So the quote unquote, when the rabid right comes in, you'll hear more of this. When the liberals take over, they still have this as the underpinnings, right? But at the core of it, this has been something that's been recurrent. And that's what I want to mention to people. A lot of the new generation of people, you know, by the way, uh, young people under the age of 30 and, and, and 40 people under the age of 44, 65% of those people do not want us to send weapons to Israel, Mike. This just came out in a CBS poll. You won't see that discussed on the mainstream media. The key thing to understand is that Zionism, Theodore Herzl, was built on racism. His best financiers, one of his best financiers was Cecil Rhodes, Rhodesia, Mike. So that's where he got his money to build Zionism. As we know, Rhodesia was built on the back, uh, on the back of this philosophy that the white man was better than the black man, period, okay? So this notion of one race being better than the other is the one that fueled Zionism, funded it. And, and what you're seeing today, the words, I mean, I have a bunch of quotes I put up on my Twitter site. When you have the president of uh, Israel basically saying, you know, all of these civilians are enemies and we are here to basically destroy all of them. So the term genocide, the policies of genocide go hand in hand with cultural nationalism, Mike, because one race is better than the other. And this, unfortunately, was true what drove Christian Zionism when it came to the United States. So when you look at the United States today, what has happened in the United States, Mike, is the, the Zionist, Zionism has essentially hijacked even at the working class level. So Christian Zionism, you have these, quote unquote, I want to put double quotes around Christian Zionists, who have taken this eschatological view. It's a big term that means the view Armageddon is going to come one day, and we have to make sure the Jews head back to Jerusalem. And when the homeland is set up, then Christ is going to descend and we're all going to be free. This is this quote unquote Christian Zionist view. There's 70 million, you know, uh, Christian Zionists in the United States. So think about that. There's only 14 million Jews. So there's far more Christian Zionists than there are Jewish Zionists. In fact, there are many Jews who are anti-Zionists and this needs to be understood. So to everyone listening, we cannot allow uh, these genocidal maniacs when you expose Zionism to say you're anti-Semitism. So Zionism is actually anti-Semitism. In the Warsaw Ghetto fights of World War II where Jews were starting to arm themselves to fight in these very concentration camp-like ghettos against Nazis, it was <clears throat> the Zionist, Mike, who collaborated with Israel to disarm the Jews, Mike. This is something that everyone needs to understand. Zionism collaborated with Nazism, very much like many of the black cultural nationalists in the 1800s would collaborate with the KKK, because they had this view of separatism. We're gonna go back to Africa, Marcus Garvey. So the concept of one cultural nationalist group collaborating with another on the basis of racism was 
is always was a twin pair. So Zionism collaborated with Nazism against Jews. So this is something we need to educate people on. So Zionism yes, yes. is anti-Semitism. And in the United States, Mike, what's now happened is every politician, you can go look at APAC's list. I mean, it's more than three quarters of the House of Representatives of the Senate has to bow down to Israel, Mike, has to they bow do. down to Zionism. They do. To get elected. I mean, don't, don't, they, don't they actually sign pledges you to, to Israel? You have to sign a pledge. And that's why if you look at every candidate, every one of them, Democrat and Republican, booby fucking Kennedy, excuse my language, but or Donald freaking Trump, or Vivek the Snake, all of these people are all Zionists because Zionism means that you believe that it's right for an occupying force, the chosen people, to just to establish their quote unquote homeland and to butcher Palestinians. Go look at Booby Kennedy's oh, tweet feed. Go look at Trump's tweet feed. Go look at Nikki Haley's tweet feed. Go look at DeSantis's tweet feed. Vivek the Snake is just a slime job because one day he says this and another day he says it. But fundamentally, these people have no backbone to stand up against Zionism. Because if you had Kennedy- Well, it's, it's clear that, I mean, just to back up some of what you're saying there, it's clear that, that Donald Trump is all in with, with Israel. Anything, I mean, he said it explicitly, anything Israel needs, he would provide a, as president. I guess that means endless weapons, endless funding. But, you know, this this seems a lot like a racket to me where, where America gives billions of dollars to Israel. Then some of that money finds its way into groups like APAC that then threaten members of Congress and, and senators, threaten, oh, you know, we're going to primary you if you don't support Israel. So wait a minute, you're using our own money to threaten our so-called representatives to do your bidding in Israel. Now we can send two carrier strike groups to the Eastern Mediterranean Sea. We can't put troops on the Southern border of the United States and defend our own borders. But but Johnson, the, the new speaker of the GOP, he's like anything for Israel, freaking nothing for America. That's, that's the message that I'm getting from the GOP right now. Yeah, Mike, I, I think this is a very good transition to talk about from a systems analysis how Zionists have hijacked America, uh, Wall Street, Hollywood, academia. And that's what we're talking about. Ultimately, the victims of this are two peoples right now, the Palestinian people and the American people. And I want to intersect this. Uh, the, the Zionists who do not care about our borders um, will send, as you said, two aircraft carriers uh, to uh, protect Zionists. I really like to, I don't know why they're calling it the Israel-Hamas war. By the way, everyone also needs to know my Hamas was created by Israel. <clears throat> Hamas you know was, that, yes. Yeah, Hamas was created by Israel in 2019. You know, Yossi Cohen, who's the head of Mossad, who's uh, been tagged to become the next prime minister of Israel by Netanyahu, was in Qatar telling them keep funding Hamas. Because see, there were actually secular, it's very, very important to understand this nuance, among the Palestinian people, there were secular, which means non-religious liberation organizations fighting for the people of Palestine. So it is very important that Zionism created a radical Islamic thing to make this secular struggle look crazy. So they funded Hamas to be the crazy wing to, and in fact, wanted them to be the leadership wing so they could say, see, these people are nuts. So the secular wing of the Arab movement was diminished. And this is uh, openly talked about. Netanyahu talks about it. You can find all the videos. Um, Yossi Cohen was in Qatar. And this is, a, I mean, this is out there. 
But none of the mainstream media wants to say, well, how do these people on these gliders come over into Israel when Israel supposedly has the most amazing security system where every microsecond they're using satellites, you know, the most advanced AI system to surveil this. If you go look at the 2012, December 2012 issue of The Economist, Mike, and I don't know if The Economist, by the way, uh, you know, one of the Rothschilds used to run and own The Economist. But in the 2012 issue, it has this wild war going on in Israel. And you see Hamas on a hand glider, Mike, and, and uh, Netanyahu on a hand glider fighting over Israel. I don't know if you've seen this image. It's quite extraordinary. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah. So it's almost a foreshadowing what's going to be coming. But it needs to be understood that Zionism, Indian Brahminism loves when they have the radical element. Indian Brahminism loves when some crazy uh, radical uh, Muslim guy does something in India. Now they can bring all their forces, say, see, all the Muslims are like this. Zionism is the one that supported Hamas. So when I see Hamas is doing this, replace Hamas with Israel, okay? Because if Hamas truly cared about the Palestinian people, their liberation, it would have armed all of them, Mike. You would have had popular militias. They haven't done that. They've kept it as a standing army because it can be controlled. So, but I think we need to recognize to your point, what has been occurring with US policy. US policy since 1948 to today was hijacked. And that hijacking was to support Israel. Now, what is Israel? Israel fundamentally is a military base that serves imperial interests, British interests and now US interests. So it must be understood that the British colonialism, British imperialism, U.S. imperialism, when they saw that strip of land, Mike, in Palestine, they were eyeing that for a long time, long before even Herzl came around, long before Zionism existed. They wanted that land, Mike, because it is a, just go look at where Palestine is, right? In between a right. lot of the trade, the Middle East, it's a strategic piece of property. So Clearly. when, so, so when this Zionist movement came, they saw this as a huge opportunity to bring the Zionists over to Palestine. They knew it was going to create this problem, Mike, but that's what they wanted. Britain always wants national divisions. They go carve up countries. They did it in India. They did it in Africa. And that's what they did in that region. They knew it was going to cause a problem. Uh, British imperialism loves problems because whenever there's nation state wars, they can come in. They can try to be like they're the peacemakers, but ultimately control that situation. So the entire area of Palestine was targeted by imperialism for profiteering interests. So it just so happened these Zionists served that purpose, Mike. And Zionism doesn't give a damn about Jews. It's absolutely fine, uh, you know, funding Hamas to create this war. And if we go look at Zionism, the United States, Zionism controls the financial system. Zionism controls Hollywood. Zionism controls academia. And why do I call it Zionism versus Judaism? Because in all these sectors, if you say anything against Israel, you're gone. Look at all the, I think, close to 600 A-list actors have signed this pledge, basically saying that, you know, uh, we should not stop this war until we get the hostages, okay? Basically supporting the butchering of Palestinians. And if you look at all those actors who've signed that, Mike, they're all what you call the A-list. The B or C-list have signed the other pledge, okay? Because in order to be an A-list actor, you're not going to get there without paying homage to Israel. And every, you know, 
three to four years, you'll see a movie coming out in Hollywood, always talking about the abuse that took place to the Israelis, but never talking about the Palestinian conditions. I think there was one movie done in 1984 with Diane Keaton, and everyone should watch it, called The Little Drummer Girl. And it exposes how Mossad, Mossad is the security unit of Israel, operates. And how they actually, Mossad's slogan, Mike, is through deception, thou shalt win war. Let me repeat that again. Through deception, thou shalt win war. That is the entire basis of Israel's approach on how they, quote unquote, win wars or execute massacres. Well, and, and, and to that point, by the way, these leaked documents that came out from Israel's Ministry of Intelligence that have been confirmed, you know, show that this was a, a plan to mm -hmm. push all 2.3 million Palestinians out of Gaza, push them to the Sinai Peninsula, uh, push them over to Egypt, right? And then to claim Gaza for Israel, just to make it part of greater Israel, you know, stealing more land, yes. which has been the pattern since 1948 and 1967, 1973, and so on. It's just, oh, always ending up with more and more land and displacing people, but... In order to, how, how do you encourage 2.3 million people to leave their homes? You have to bomb them, you have to murder them, and then you and then you claim, oh, let's leave a humanitarian corridor open so they can leave. Well, they're never going to get to come back if Israel achieves this plan. But also, in order to start all of this, Israel had to allow Hamas to attack it on October 7th, the stand down order. Do you agree with that assessment that they stood down on purpose to allow this attack? Yeah, yeah, Mike. And I think this is the, you know, Mossad again, who's the one that helped fund and fuel Hamas. Their slogan is through deception, thou shalt win war. Um, and, you know, the first tweet I did on this, Mike, was the following. Is that Netanyahu, who's, you know, the more uh, apparent butcherer of Palestinians, the liberal Zionists do the same thing, but they just act nice as they stab the Palestinians in the back. But Netanyahu is open about this. Now, Netanyahu, Mike, for the last two years has been under, he was criminally indicted. There's been massive fraud charges against him um, for corruption and fraud. The broad mass of Israelis hate Netanyahu. Um, there That's were right. massive protests in Israel just two weeks before October 7th. 100,000 people came to protest against him. He is not liked. And if you remember in history, whenever a king or a leader, when people start rising up against that leader, what's the first thing they do? They point the enemy somewhere else to galvanize their people. Oh, we have an enemy outside. So Netanyahu right. was on his way out, Mike. Everyone, so you have that dynamic going on within Israel. In the United States, you have this other dynamic that the financial system is actually should have collapsed, Mike. And I want to talk about this. The financial Please. system, the United States was about to collapse. So the United States needed a war distraction, another crisis, so they could use that crisis to justify printing money. So let me sort of intersect both of these. So first thing people need to understand, just go look at, just go to a little bit of Googling, go look at prior to October 7th, and you'll see that Netanyahu was under massive uh, 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 protests to get rid of him. And starting in April, he attacked the Aqsa you know, you know, mosque twice, Mike. He wanted to, and it's one of the most holiest shrines of Muslims. Um, he wanted to incite something. Now, if you look at broadly, Mike, and we just want to step back a little bit, if we go to the fact that the United States economy has been abusing the American working people at all levels, it doesn't care about protecting borders, it doesn't care about really creating a vibrant economic system. It's been fueled by printing money. 
Let's go back to the the uh, the presidency of Barack Obama. Barack Obama, a lot of working class whites, a lot of black people voted for Obama. In fact, 57% of Trumpers voted for Obama. He was a Manchurian candidate that was, again, supported and created by Zionists. The Pritzker family in Chicago was his big funder. Overnight, this guy shows up. So Zionist fueled Obama's job as he was presented to the public because he was going to help the masses of working people. But what did he do, Mike? In 2008, all the big Zionist, the Zionist financial system, the banking system in the United States was creating all these derivative products, making tons of money, selling wacko, you know, banking products. And it collapsed. Credit default swaps and all that. Yeah, yeah all that stuff, right? right? It was all crazy stuff that would never have been allowed. But because the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, the Congress, and the bankers all have a revolving door of, frankly, Zionists. You sh we have to go look at this. We have to address that. So they supported all this completely crazy financial products, which manipulated working people. People invested in these products, and everything crashed in 2008. Now, if you were a true market capitalist, a true American, you would have let all those big banks fail. They should have failed, Mike, but we That's didn't. Right. We didn't. What happened is... The Fed, people need to understand the Congress, the United States Congress did something quite unfortunate. They allowed the Treasury to outsource their printing of money to something called the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is a private organization. And the Federal Reserve basically prints money at will and gives it to their friends in the banking community, JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, et cetera, who then funnel it to BlackRock. And, you, and all of these people, uh, work with each other. They collect commissions on all of this uh, money printing. So when 2008 occurred, if Obama truly cared about people, he would have let all these banks fail, but he didn't. In the midnight hour, the Fed prints money. They print In Obama's term, they printed $8.1 trillion, Mike. So this money was printed and they came up with a big name for it, Mike. They called it quantitative easing. Remember that term? Oh, right. Right. Yes. All it meant was we're going to print money for our banker friends. We're going to save them. And all that money went to banks who fueled it into the stock market. And that's what they did. So between 2008 and around 2016, 20, what occurred is that the economies, the interest rates, if you remember, Mike, were very, very low. And one yes. of the things people need to understand is if you want to take one thing on from this discussion relative to the economy, write down the word money supply. Money supply is like water coming out of a spigot, okay? You, who, he who controls the money supply controls economies. So they had put all this money out there, more money, right? More supply of money, just like you have more water, the price of money went down. So interest rates, they drove down, Mike. So during that period, remember 2008, 16, the interest rates were very, very low, Mike. Who did that help? It really helped people like Jared Kushner. It helped people like... Trump. It helped all these people who were real estate, quote unquote, magnates, because they could use that low interest rate to buy other buildings, right? And be bigger slumlords. That's what it did. So the interest rates in the United States were kept artificially low by the Zionist cabal to serve Zionists. And they could print money at will to support wars. So the money supply is controlled by a finite set of people who printed it to save their own skin, not to really fuel a real economy. Well, by 2017, 18, 19, if you remember, Mike, small businesses like, you know, entrepreneurs was, was becoming quite vibrant. The economy was growing again and interest rates were edging up. 
because when entrepreneurs grow, there's we're going to demand more money for loans to grow our businesses. And the interest rates were easing up, starting to go up. And this would have been a threat to the cabal. And this is why Trump was brought in, Mike. They needed to bring down those interest, keep those interest rates low. So instead- yeah, Trump, Trump argued for negative interest rates. Well, Trump, Trump said a lot of stuff. He also said he was going to lock up Hillary. He also said he was going to drain the swamp. He said a lot of things. But ultimately what Trump did and supported was this fictitious thing called a pandemic. The pandemic was created, if you follow the money, as a vehicle to hide this another economic collapse that was going to take place. They needed to print more money, Mike. So yep. what did the pandemic and, and do? It became stimulus money, yep. Right. What did the pandemic do? It ultimately shut down all these small businesses, Costco's, Amazon, Walmart's. They were all, uh, they're the 600 billionaires made $2.3 trillion of the $8 trillion Trump printed in one term. So in one term, $8 trillion get printed. And you remember that V, the market was going down and then it comes back up. So the pandemic was a way that they created a fake crisis to help the banking class. That's what occurred. And, and, and to keep the zombie economy looking like it's still ex alive. Ex exactly. But, exactly. but now that zombie economy is approaching its end game again. So they need another crisis. Exactly. If you look at all the indicators, Mike, many, many indicators, there should have been a crash in October, Mike. They knew this is coming. So the United States financial system is running on fumes. We don't really produce anything. We don't really innovate. I'm sorry, Elon Musk is not innovating anything great. He's a front man for government, and we can have a longer discussion on that. But fundamentally, the U.S. economy is not vibrant. It's based on printing money. Now that, you know, money gets printed and it sort of goes out in the economy. So they needed another crisis, Mike. So they tried Ukraine, Mike. It didn't work too well, okay? Then right. the goal was, remember, less than two months ago, they were dis discussing, ooh, there could be another variant of COVID. Americans fought back against that. Right. So what better way than to create this new crisis in the Middle East? So it was a meeting of the Zionists in the United States who were very close with Netanyahu, you know, very close. And, and we should discuss how close they are. Anthony Blinken is an Israeli citizen. Yeah. Okay. You can look well, at- so, so is half the CDC. Half the CDC <laughs> are Israeli citizens. So why is it that these people are allowed to hold public positions in public office? So- these people are Zionists. They're able to have dual citizenship in the United States and Israel. And you find consistently their loyalty, I want to put it broadly, is to Zionism, is to Israel. It is not to the American working people. So in one of the videos that came out, this young kid is reading out the names of all the people in the CDC who supported um, the nonsensical policy which helped Big Pharma. Albert Borla, another big Zionist, he was honored by Netanyahu in Israel as a Lifetime Achievement Award. Again, Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, was honored by Israel, which had a massive vaccination policy. They collected data on all their citizens to fuel further vaccine research. But Albert Borla is a Zionist. He's out of Israel. And we need to understand, uh, understand that Pfizer's revenue, Mike, if you look from 2012 to 2000. And 19 was going down like this. It was going from 65 billion in revenue down to 40 billion. Pfizer was, was headed on its way out of business. They needed the vaccine. Okay. And everyone should also, we should do some investigation on the, the trips that Jared Kushner made to Israel and UAE, met with Albert Borla. What was all that about? But the vaccine ultimately helped the big pharma guys. And I talked about this back in 2020. 
We talked about it. Our movement talked about this in 2020, Mike. We came out against lockdowns. Kennedy was pro-lockdowns. Trump was pro-lockdowns. Fauci was pro-lockdowns. So all of these same people who support Zionism were supporting lockdowns. They supported killing millions of people. So when we intersect all of this, Mike, what you find is that we're seeing the overt butchering of the Palestinian people, the genocide. But we must intersect that as, as Americans with the fact that since 1980, with the policies that started with John Kennedy, with the 1962 Vaccination Act, which allowed government, you know, all these bureaucracies, a creation of multiple departments within the CDC. So the government had a right to jab you. That began under John Kennedy, 1962 Kennedy Vaccination Act. And since that point to today, you can see the American lifespan. Your children, the, this, these policies of the left and the right, the Kennedys are frankly killing American children. And I don't say this dramatically. If people go to our website, there's a wonderful graph you'll find in the download section. It's a graph from 1980, the lifespan going like this, Mike. It's an upside down umbrella. And so if you have a child today, your child will have a shorter lifespan than you. So that is one of the key performance indicators of all of this is working. So fundamentally, the U.S. system, the financial system, the medical system, all of these systems have failed America. So we're actually killing children. And, and I say that because your child today will have a shorter lifespan than you. I'm the only one, Mike, talking about this. Now you intersect that, the same people who are fine with the last 40, 50 years of passing policies to kill American children, why would they care to go? <laughs> they have no remorse for going and killing Palestinian children, Mike. That's what the fundamental right. issue is. Of the 8,000 people who have died, at least 50% are women and children. So we have to go back into the root cause of this. The root cause is this financial system, the swarm, as I call it, a multiracial aristocracy of people globally who don't care about working people. But the reason they're- Able to exit. Let, let, let me mic. bring in something yeah. real, real quick here. As of today, the time we're recording this, the number of Palestinian civilians who have been killed in IDF bombings of Gaza is at least 8,500. And I believe it's 60% that are women and children that are known. Um, in addition, I mean, think just the raw numbers are almost triple the casualties of 9 11 in America. But if you run the calculations per capita versus the population of Gaza, in, in other words, 8,500 deaths versus 2.3 million people, and you compare that to the per capita de uh, deaths of 9-11, Gaza has endured over 300 9-11s and, and that's just in this event, Mike. We're not talking and, and it's about not done. And, yeah, the well, bombings we're not talking are about since 19, happening. We're not talking about since 1948, okay? No, no, no. We're talking about just since October exactly. 7th. Right. 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 So for and, and then for people, uh, this is what stuns me, that that you have Christian Zionists in America that say I'm opposed to abortion, that all babies have should have the opportunity to live. I want to protect life. And then you're like, well, what about what about Gaza? Oh, bomb the children there. Bomb those kids. So right. wait a minute. You are you're not actually opposed to abortion. You're in favor of abortion via bombs, just not abortion via forceps or whatever Planned Parenthood. See, I mean, the inconsistencies of all of this is what is driving me bonkers because, Dr. Shiva, I'm a principled person. And although I'm not perfect, I, I, I stick to principles as best I can. When someone says they're pro-life, I, I take them at their word. I think they mean, oh, you, you support all human life. And the answer is usually no, they don't. They want to murder these people. 
Yeah, but, Mike, it's it's quite so this is this is what cultural nationalism leads to, Mike. And cultural nationalism always leads to this fanaticism and these serious inconsistencies. It becomes quote unquote religious, Mike. It's not based on any type of spirituality. I mean, uh, the quote the quotes that I put up on my uh, Twitter feed was to your point, and, and to all the Christian Zionists listening, you have to ask yourself, and I hope you guys go pray in quiet and connect with Christ and ask yourself if this is what you want to support. This is a president of Israel saying, quote, it is an entire nation who are responsible. This rhetoric about civilians not being involved is absolutely untrue. We will fight until we break their backs. And this is a woman, Maya Golan, who's the Israeli minister of women's affairs. She said, I want to tell the world that they have long known about me in Israel. Quote, I don't care about Gaza. I literally don't care about Gaza. They can go swimming in the sea. And this is right from the chief Israeli spokesman. He goes, we are dropping hundreds of tons, tons, not pounds, tons. Ton, one ton is 2,000 pounds. Hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza, which means hundreds of thousands of pounds of bombs on Gaza. The focus is on destruction, not accuracy. So if you're... Yes. So, so to your point, Mike, what happens is Christian Zionism, that's why I put double quotes Christian in my view, you know, I have, you know, I've been a follower of Christ most of my life and I have a deep personal relationship and I, you know, I don't want to get into it, but I don't believe these people are Christians, man. This is not Christianity. This is about using certain precepts, taking, you know, cherry picking, wrapping it into this eschatological view of Armageddon and then manipulating. And this is 70 million working people in the United States have become Christian Zionists, Mike. This is who Mike Johnson comes out of, the current Speaker yes. of the House, the second in line to be president. He, so the Zionis, Zionism has literally hijacked America. And that Zionism basically leads to not a true self-determination for the American people, the interests of the working people of America, but some crazy <laughs> batshit stuff condoning well, go, going well, and Well, exactly. To your point, yeah. when I hear these people talk and, you know, an eschatological point of view, I, I think the accurate, accurate description is actually a scatological point yes, of view. Yes, it's very, um, close, it's very close to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just said it, batshit crazy. I mean, these people are fanatics. They're zealots. They're murderers. And, and some of them, like Netanyahu, are saying, well, God told me to do this, so it's perfectly okay. And I agree with you. That's not what Christianity teaches. Frankly, you know, that's that's not what any major world religion teaches, not not Islam, you know, not Buddhism, nothing. N none of them teach mass slaughter of innocent civilians. Right. So I, Dr. Shiva, I, I wake up in Texas each day as an American. And right now I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't recognize the philosophy of some of these people anymore. It's it's because if, if they can one day declare that this group of people are worthless and animals and subhumans and that they can justify killing them the next day they could declare that against you or i none of us are safe when these philosophies exist on our planet yeah mike i think you nailed it there and by the way i think what we need to recognize you know this genocide you know i come from a group of people called tamils mike in south india okay um if you remember go back to the 80s in a place called sri lanka the Tamils were being butchered in the same genocidal war uh, by the uh, group of 
uh, people there supported, believe it or not, fueled by Mossad and Israel again. And the Buddhists in Sri Lanka were butchering Tamils, Mike. So they took Buddhist philosophy and then they conjured it into a nationalism and said it was they justified genocide. So we have to be very, very aware that that the religious hierarchies and the political hierarchies, when they meet, it's quite a dangerous mix, Mike, because they can they can take teachings, mix it with nationalist or cultural nationalist political ideology to justify genocide. This was done all over the world. It, it's every major religion has uh, Islam did it. Uh, Hinduism has done it. Christianity has done it. Buddhism has done it, which is ahimsa. The, the tenant of Buddhism was thou shalt do no harm, right? Harm no life, kill no life. But in Sri Lanka, the same philosophy was practiced. So this is a huge opportunity, a wake-up call, Mike, for us to really reflect on what the hell's going on and how did America get into this? Uh, a yeah. week ago, Mike, I, I did a podcast with a very um, a nice woman in Texas, and she was saying that she was a devout Christian Zionist, went to this her, and has been going there for 20 years to her church. She After a while, she sort of got out of this brainwashing, but she found out that her pastor was very close with Netanyahu, friends, Mike. So I would say this is far more deliberate. I would say the entire evangelical leadership, the Christian evangelical, quote unquote, Christian evangelical leadership of the United States has a very close linkage. It's a PhD project someone should do with Zionism directly. I'm talking about Israeli Zionism and has likely been infiltrated by Mossad, etc. They have a very close relationship. All these Christian Zionists will make trips to Israel, right? Go to the Holy Land, come up all jacked up, you know, that they should kill all the Palestinians and justify it. What's unfortunate about Palestine, Mike, is that people used to call it apartheid, right? Many, many years ago, Mike, I did some of the largest demonstrations fighting against the apartheid situation in South Africa. But in the difference between South Africa and Palestine is quite remarkable, and it's quite unfortunate. I would argue what's going on in Palestine is worse than apartheid. Apartheid itself was pretty bad. To those of you who don't know what apartheid was, a very small minority of people of Afrikaner background, again, they use certain Christian ideologies, you know, suppressed and butchered, you know, and enslaved um, the large majority of blacks and browns. Now, in that case, Mike, apartheid actually acknowledged these black and brown people, they could be used to exploit, right, as slaves, as workers, right, for their mines, etc. But what's different in Israel is that in South Africa, apartheid was done to extract slave labor. In Gaza, the Zionists are doing this simply to kill people, Mike. It's not even about, because they don't even care about using these people for labor. It's about just mowing them down and committing genocide. It's, right, right, right. I mean, and you have to get a work permit to even work, and those are being denied. And five to 10,000 Palestinians are sitting in Israeli prisons right now. Yeah, I would. That were just essentially just, just taken. I mean, you know, you, you hear in the Western media about these 200 hostages, Israeli hostages held by Hamas. You never hear about the 5,000 plus Palestinian hostages that have been taken by Israel. I mean, it's just complete silence on this. Someone posted on, you know, so if people go look at my Twitter and my media feed, since October 7th, you know, uh, I'm the only presidential candidate, Mike, in U.S. history who's anti-Zionist, the only viable presidential candidate, the only presidential candidate who's known by about a half a billion people all over the world, the only presidential candidate who has a movement that has about a half a million people, Truth, Freedom, Health, all over the United States. 
we're the only movement now in the United States that educates people on taking a systems approach, a, a secular approach beyond left and right to looking at all the problems and coming to really bold solutions, Mike. But when you look at that, we have to ask this question, why is it that I'm the only presidential candidate who boldly speaks against Zionism? Who boldly has- Yeah, why, why is that? Yeah. Yeah, why is it that I'm the only one who cares about the American working people and intersects that? And I would argue, Mike, the only reason that is because of the fact that I'm an American, Mike. I'm actually a working class kid who grew up, you know, in the streets of New Jersey, right? Grew up playing baseball, knows where I came from, from everyday working people, the American working people who busted their ass, particularly during World War II to build this country. And what I am so saddened about, Mike, is that that working class group of people who built this country are being abused and taken advantage of. If you look at from 1900 to 1970, it was that group of the American working class who built this country. As the American pie grew, all wages grew between 1900 to 1970. All wages of all different income quartiles. And the reason they grew, Mike, is because we had a vibrant movement in this country. Nearly 11,000 people, there were 11,000 strikes, Mike, and nearly 250 million people. And why do I say that? Not we should just go strike to strike, but there was a vibrant um, uh, trade union, movement in this country were real unions, Mike, where people fought for their rights, fought against child labor, fought for infrastructure. And those movements put the fear of God into the financial system. But coincidentally, after 1948, after the creation of Israel, that's when McCarthyism comes, Mike, if you remember that. McCarthyism in the 1950s was used to call all of these movements, quote unquote, capital C communists, right? It was used to suppress bottoms up movements. And by 1970 till today, Mike, there's been maybe 900, you know, protests and maybe 2 million people took to the streets to defend their rights. And during this period of 1970 till today, Mike, the wages of the first and second income quartiles of the everyday American working people has gone down like this. And if you look at the area of the curve underneath that, Mike, it's around $47 trillion in wealth got transferred from hardworking people up to the elites. And in during the pandemic, and this is where the rubber meets the road, when they printed all this money, 600 billionaires increased their wealth during the pandemic by $2.3 trillion. Elon Musk being one of the biggest, yes. the biggest beneficiaries, Jeff Bezos being the big beneficiary, Zuckerberg, and you can go down the list. So in the middle of a crisis, Trump prints money. It goes to him and Bobby Kennedy's billionaire friends. And that's why both of them were promoting lockdowns. Everyone should, if, if you want to really look, don't give any credit to Kennedy. He's not a true American hero, he's a scumbag. In the middle of the pandemic, he promoted lockdowns. He put out a tweet saying lockdowns are good, they're gonna stop the spread of COVID and they're gonna support the climate change scam. Trump promoted well, hold on. lockdowns. I, I, I have, a, I have a, a, a follow up question for you though on the next round of the money printing that will be necessary to save the zombie system. Let me give out your website first, shiva4president.com and it's the numeral four. Yeah. Okay. So Shiva numeral four president.com and you're accepting donations there for your campaign. You're running as an independent and you're, you know, you're, you're you, you have a whole group of people behind you who are helping you get the word out about all these things. But let me ask you this. If the, if, if we need another, if the powers that be need another big round of money printing to save the system, then they need an escalation in the Middle East that is far bigger than what has happened so far. And perhaps this explains why all the naval vessels are there and the 50 
you know, cargo planes are transporting weapons and soldiers and why uh, GOP House Speaker Mike Johnson is calling for boots on the ground of U.S. soldiers on the ground in Israel, uh, apparently fighting, you know, the, the Turks or something coming up. But isn't it true that they need a much bigger conflict to have a much bigger emergency at this point and that they are planning or they're ramping up to that bigger conflict? Well, Mike, there's a term that IBM used to use in the sales world called FUD, F-U-D, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, okay? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt is what the pandemic created, right? And using fear, uncertainty, and doubt, that was used to print money. So the reality is that they're creating significant fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the Middle East, whether they decide to go after Iran, whether they decide to expand the war, uh, to achieve one of Zionism's goal, if you go look at when Menachem Begin, who is one of the key founders of Israel, uh, Menachem Begin was the first prime minister of Israel. Um, him and the, you know, the main uh, uh, founders of Israel had a concept called Greater Israel. Mike, you may know of this, right? Yes. The Greater Israel concept was not only this little plot of land in Palestine or this significant strategic land, but to expand it all over. This was one of the visions of this greater Israel concept. It was an occupying model, right? It was very similar to what Hitler had, right? To expand the German empire. So that's been always the critical part of this. But I would argue, Mike, at minimum, fear, uncertainty, and doubt is what they need to print more money. You have to understand the American economy right now, is, it's, it's all, if you look at some of the very smart theorists, the economic theorists who I study very, very closely, uh, the reality is this market should have crashed, Mike. It's being held by toothpicks and Band-Aids. So, yeah, so they need to justify. You see, they were going to use another pandemic to justify it. So they always divert Americans from understanding the core economic system. The economic system of the United States was built on manufacturing, on innovation. And guys like me, Mike, engineers, entrepreneurs like you, it wasn't built on fucking Kennedy. It wasn't built on Trump. By the way, Trump is a reality show businessman. People, you know, I have friends who have advised him. Very close people used to advise him. You go look at his balance sheet. He had $1 billion in assets, $2 billion in liabilities. He's So they'd say, yeah, you're a billionaire. You're a negative billionaire. You know, on his phone with the eagle on his desk. He's a bullshitter. We have to understand whether it's Kennedy, whether it's Trump, whether it's Vivek the Snake. All of these people are, quote unquote, Brahmins, Mike. Zionists who come from above and we have to cut our ties with these people and it's very hard I know Mike to thinking oh Bobby said this Trump said this well you have to look at what they did what are they actually doing in the heat of October 7th when the shit was hitting the fan with Palestine I was the only one to call out Zionism they go look at their tweet feed yes we must defend Israel yes we must defend Israel and so it's time that Americans wake up and break from the false idols, from the false leaders, from the fake leaders. Bobby Kennedy is not a true American hero. Trump is not a fighter for the working people. I am. And the problem is that what has happened on social media, Mike, is they actually make me invisible. It is called yes. putting people in a digital cage. You can see, Mike, I have close to, I mean, in 2020, I would do a tweet, Mike, it would get 100,000 retweets. And after I started exposing Musk, the fact that he still has a government backdoor portal open. My tweets went from about a million views per day down to you know 10,000 views per day. I'm the most dangerous guy for these people because a guy like me with an MIT PhD, with my background, 
you know, with all the awards I won, with all the degrees I have, with all the entrepreneurial accolades I have, should be bowing down to Zionism, Mike. And I refuse to do that. So they well, I mean, I was disabled on Twitter for six years, by the way. And there you when go. They reactivated my account. It's it's ninety nine percent shadow banned. But Mike, what I they're mean, doing to your account? Let me tell you what Musk is doing. Musk is a freaking scumbag. They're taking your accounts. They're taking my accounts. It's called predictive analytics. They take all of your followers, Mike. Th think of that rows of all your followers. And every column, they have a big digital spreadsheet of all the characteristics of your followers, age, right? You know, direct marketing. And they can use your profile now to figure out, oh, what kinds of people like Mike? And they can go to other people who may like Mike Adams and they can send them messages, Mike, to divert people away from you. So there are many people who actually said, I'm gonna follow Dr. Shiva. They get messages from Kennedy, Mike. The, fake, yeah. the guy literally comes to my website comes to our meeting, steals our slogans. Our slogan was declare your independence. You can go look at it from 2018. He takes that slogan because a swarm has told Kennedy and there are the grifter shills who are advising Kennedy. Oh my God. Hey, Bobby, Sheba's really exposing you. Please do something on Israel. Please do something on this. And he's a scumbag. Everything the swarm does is messaging. Take this guy, Vivek the snake. They went and found a brown skinned guy, Mike, to literally steal my content because they're afraid that more and more people are gonna say, this guy's a real deal. He's our fighter. And that's the PSYOP war that's taking place, Mike. So the issue of Zionism to me, it's not about ceasefire now. It's not about stop the war in Palestine, free Palestine. This People have been doing this, the, the liberal Zionists have been doing this for 40 years. If we are truly Americans and we truly believe in national self-determination, the right of people to determine their own right to exist, then if anything, $14.5 billion, which is about $100 per American working person, is what Biden wants to send more to Israel. Well, why don't we take at least, because the, the numbers show in the CBS poll, 52% of Americans are against sending weapons to Israel. Well, maybe we should at least send half of that, Mike, for military aid to the Palestinians. I mean, it's the only logical conclusion you reach if you want to intersect our consistency as the American values the Second Amendment intersected with the fact who is being abused here. And this is where we have to really uh, educate the broad mass of American people. And they're ready for this, Mike. People are tired of booby fucking Kennedy saying one thing, doing another. They're tired of him messaging stuff, you know, moving from one direction to another when it's convenient. And even if he says, oh, well, we shouldn't send aid to Palestine, no one should believe him. He's a Zionist through and through. And that's where we need to get to, Mike. People need to understand that I'm the only presidential candidate. You could argue probably risking my life talking about Zionism and talking about that being Zionist is being anti-Semitic. I'm the only one educating people that Zionists collaborated with the Nazis to butcher Jews. This is why they have no problem even well, sacri sacrificing Jews and killing Palestinians. And this is a discussion that needs to be had in America because right now, Mike, the financial system is controlled by Zionists. Hollywood is controlled by Zionists. And it is academia. Look, if you look at the quality of research now, that now takes place in American academia, Mike, it's fueled by the financial system. As long as you are in line, you keep getting grant funding. I'll give you an example. Alzheimer's research. There's a professor at University of Minnesota. You guys can look him up. 
for he literally 16 years ago photoshopped mike photoshopped images which was the basis of a theory of how alzheimer's gets created 16 um over uh, over the, the last the amyloid plaque theory yes right over the last 16 years 3.7 billion dollars went into his bullshit theory which is made right. up on photoshopped images now nothing has happened it, to him. Eventually, it was retracted. It was all found out to be a fraud. Right, but nothing happened to him. Is he in jail? Nothing. He still no. probably gets to keep his home wherever in Martha's Vineyard and the Cape. All of these people in academia today are fueled by the financial system. None of them will say anything against Israel or Zionism. No one in Hollywood will say anything against Israel or Zionism. And the financial system is run by Zionists. And we need to call a spade what it is. The CDC is run by Zionists. America has been hijacked by Zionists. It is a cancer right now. And that Zionist cancer fuels everything we're seeing right now. It's about power, profit, control. And the swarm uses Zionism. It needs Zionism because it needs to fuel this cultural nationalism to divide people. And it's guys like you and I, Mike, and my run for president, which is literally the inflection point in American history. Because if, if we continue funding Israel, if we continue down the Zionist path, we are going to lead to their Armageddon that they want. Armageddon, forget even bombs going off, but the destruction of the American working class. That's what's going on right now. Well, and, and also I would argue that this current path may end up destroying Israel as well, which is why I've said if you're really pro-Israel, you, you, you can't support this escalation that Israel and the United States are pushing. But but look, uh, do you have time for at least one, one more question? Sure, Mike. Yeah, of oh, course. Okay, okay. We can keep going. I appreciate your yeah. time, and I, I hope the audience appreciates I'm giving you a lot, a lot of runway to speak, and you know you're not you're not censored here. There's no editing in this interview. This is a, an uncensored platform, and that's that's the only way I, I would have it. By the way, uh, and of, of course, people are going to know just by listening to the things you've just said that this is uncensored, right? But here's my question to you: Is have the Zionists gone too far? Have they set a trap for themselves now? Because we're living in a world that is moving into a multipolar world where the West can no longer set the terms of every engagement. The, the dollar is, is you know, suffering de-dollarization. Many other countries moving away from it, you know, BRICS nations and all of that. But also, even in the Middle East, the Arab world has been, in effect, united in many ways by Israel's actions against Gaza. I mean, you're seeing Iran and Saudi Arabia on the same page now for the first time, which was unthinkable. Yeah, you know, until just now. And is it possible that if they don't back away from this, that Israel, where it is right now, actually ceases to exist because it's overrun by Arab nations? I mean, Turkey's about to declare war. Yemen has just declared war. Syria is going to get involved. And even the Jordanians may rise up against their own government for being too friendly to the West. And what about Egypt? I mean, the Egyptian leaders have the same problem as the, the Jordanian leaders. This, have they have they created a problem that is now potentially an existential threat to Israel itself? So, Mike, it's a great question. So I have two parts to this answer. First of all, um, if you look at these countries, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Iran, you know, and you look at their history, Mike, um, Saudi Arabia, it's very important to understand Saudi Arabia is Zionist, Mike. You can have Arab Zionists, just like you can have... Um, Arab non-Zionists, okay? Um, in all of these Arab countries, Mike, the people in those countries 
including Egypt, right? Let's remember, you know, Arab Spring, you know, millions of people protesting against a Mubarak government. So if you look at Palestine, I want to keep calling it Palestine, okay? Because that's what it rightfully is. And you look at all the quote unquote Arab countries surrounding Palestine and the theory was, oh my God, Israel is being attacked. All of those countries, Mike, serve Zionism. Saudi Arabia, you know, Jared Kushner got a $2 billion loan. He's a Zionist, okay? He was a Zionist running the White House. Uh, he got $2 billion loan from who? Saudi Arabia, Mike. So Saudi Arabia, the only reason it's been able to enslave its people is because it gives out massive amount of subsidies. You go to Iran, the, and by the way, Iranians are not Arabs. Iranians are Persians, okay? Education, okay? Uh, the broad mass of Iranians have problems with their own government. Egypt, you know, I, I was there for six weeks. The broad mass of Egyptian youth, particularly, if you go, if we go look at Arab Spring, there were massive protests against the Mubarak government for corruption, you know, the, the economic conditions in Egypt. And, and one of the things that we need to understand is in all of these countries, there are burgeoning movements against the Persian, the Iranian, the Arab leaders, including Turkey. Erdogan cannot be, you cannot ever believe anything that comes out of this mouth, Mike. He had elections where he lost, okay, several years ago, and he stole back his own election. So his people broadly don't like him. But using this issue of Palestine, Mike, and this needs to be understood geopolitically, many of these Arab leaders who are frankly not liked by their people are there with microphones supporting the, you know, supporting the protesters against Palestine. But they're doing it, Mike, because they're afraid those same people are going to overthrow them. Does that make sense? Exactly. So, yes. So I, I see that. So, so we need to understand that I don't think any of these people care about the Palestinians. They've always used the Palestinian issue to keep their own uh, Arab people or Persian people thinking they're fighting for them. Right. It's basically, you know, a leader saying, oh, yeah, we're supporting our brethren over there. Meanwhile, they suppress their own people. So this gets to this much more fundamental issue of what is going on right now and 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 what we must do. So if you look at all the pictures coming out, Mike, right, I was thinking there's this guy on Twitter, some guy overnight, he's everywhere on Twitter and he's on Tucker Carlson, right? Who I call fucker Carlson. But whenever someone's on Tucker Carlson, I always wonder what's really going on. Because in my view, from my research, Tucker Carlson's part of the intelligence agency, right? They do limited hangouts, they expose stories, but never at the right time. But when you look at what's going on, I started wondering, after the Vietnam War, the intelligence agencies made sure every war that took place, they didn't allow images to come out. You know what I'm saying, Mike? They didn't allow reporters in there. So I started wondering, right. why are we seeing such brutal images coming out of Gaza? Okay? Because clearly they can control that if they want to, Mike, right? 30 well, um, no, I'm not sure they can. I mean, I, I think that well, the Gazans are pushing images to, you know, Al Jazeera or other sources that right. the West doesn't control. Right. But they have immense ways to do some of this control. But just follow this the track on me. OK. OK, go ahead. So there is a phenomenon that came out in the 1960s called learned helplessness. Yes. It, was a, it was a phenomenon that became a CIA technique. And it came from understanding behavioral psychology. So if you keep showing people oppression, right? Um, they did it with animals, right? Where basically, if you keep telling a mammal or, you know, organisms that 
you can try to do this, but you're never going to succeed. You can try to do this, but you're never going to succeed, right? And you keep infiltrating images of that with people. Eventually, people just give up, Mike. They say, well, right. I guess that's the way the world is. When you fight back, see what happened, we're going to get obliterated, right? Or alternatively, it's to send images into the mind to prep people for what is to come, Mike. You see what I'm saying? Um, yes. Because... If you go back to the example in Egypt that I said, in 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 when the movement was rising up in Egypt against Mubarak, there was a very interesting point in that movement. There were millions of people. People just should go type in, you know, Arab Spring, Tahrir Square, millions of young people, Mike. And how were they doing that? They were using social media, Mike, to mobilize people to these massive, massive protests. The establishment was fine, students doing this. But there was a point in that movement when working people, like plumbers, electricians, nurses, entrepreneurs, stopped working and they joined these movements in, in almost a national boycott. Mubarak, who was the dictator of Egypt, made one phone call to Vodafone and he shut down the internet. I don't know if you remember this. So one of the fundamental things is they do not want working people, Mike, crossing the conscious boundary and getting involved in the anti-Zionist movement, particularly in the United States. They do not want a movement coming up bottoms up that intersects, wait a minute, my condition in America is directly related to the butchering of Palestinian people. The fact that my tax dollars are going there. So they do not want the broad mass of American people rising up from below, Mike, particularly working people. So as long as we keep seeing these images and seeing, I'm saying exposing is good, Mike, right? And I've been, you know, we all do that, but we have to build a bottoms up movement, Mike. Without that, this nothing's going to change in the world. We'll just be 10 years from now. Guarantee you there'll be another, if Gaza's not gone, there'll be another incident somewhere else. Okay. That's right. And yeah. so the establishment has gotten very good to training people. You know what? You guys can't do anything. We'll go in and butcher. We'll commit genocide. What are you going to do? Right. What are you going to do? Do something. Yeah. Your protests don't mean anything, but what history shows, and it comes out of the United States in the late 1800s and 1900s, when working class people, Mike, when we mobilize bottoms up movements, that is where the power is. And the eye on the ball that we all need to keep is everything that is done by the establishment is for us to give power back to them. This is why Booby fucking Kennedy is running as an independent. This is why he stole our slogan, because he knows that our movement, my run for the presidency. I represent the broad mass of working people. He's a fake, Mike. He's not a true American hero. He's a fake American hero created by the swarm. Trump is another fake American hero. Tulsi Gabbard is a rabid warmonger. I mean, she's a warmonger. She supported uh, going into Iraq after 9-11. She supported defending Israel on this. So all these people say the right things. They're coming from top down. They're promoted on mainstream media, Mike. They're pushed on there. And it's time that people start connecting the dots and realize where does real change come from? And they need to look back to the 1800s and 1900s in the United States when working people mobilize bottoms up. They do not want the plumber, the electrician, the engineer, the nurse to start getting these concepts and becoming anti-Zionist. Imagine all the network engineers in Wall Street walked off their jobs in support of the Palestinian people. Imagine if electricians- Well, right, I, so yeah, that, that, I, I hear you there, but from what you just said, I mean, Bobby Kennedy and, and, and Donald Trump, they are not promoted by the mainstream media. They are, they are attacked constantly. I mean, they are well, defamed. Actually, well, well, well let's, let's stop right mainstream. there, Mike. Actually, 
this is what happens. Think about this, Mike, as WWE theater, okay? All right? As anyone knows, the greatest public relations people have said bad publicity or good publicity is fine. Go look at, you know, in the Long Fuse report, which was done by Stanford, a 400-page report, I was considered the top six super spreaders of, quote-unquote, misinformation. Yeah, I remember that. All right? It was a Long Fuse report. All the other five guys were supported by billionaires. I used to do little tweets with videos. And what they have done to me is to make me invisible. But they promote Kennedy, Mike, negatively or positively. Trump. They're I see still, what you mean. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Where we have they to, just try to disappear you. Exactly. But they're, they're still letting other people's names exactly. get out there. Yeah. So there's a guy everyone should look up, a Zionist, by the name of Ari Emanuel. People should look him up. Mike, do you know who he is? Ari Emanuel? Yeah, I think I think he's done a lot of uh, like people on the street videos. No, is that the guy? No, Ari Emanuel is oh, okay. a brother of, is a brother of Ram Emanuel. Oh, okay, yeah, totally Ram, different guy. Yeah, Sorry. Ram, yeah, R A H M Emanuel, and both you know very close Israeli Zionists. Okay, Ram Emanuel was a chief of staff to Obama, who ended up becoming the mayor of New York. His brother, Ari Emanuel, runs and controls the entire entertainment industry in the United States. Why do I say that? Ari Emanuel uh, is from William Morris Agency, Mike, which WME, which became Endeavor, which is the number one elite art, art, art agency of every A-list Hollywood celebrity. They were Trump's agency, Mike. Okay? They're Joe Rogan's agent. As you know, to become an A-list entertainer in the United States, you need an agent. Your agent controls and runs you. He makes or breaks you. So Endeavor is owned by Ari Emanuel. They run the biggest talent agency, which controls every Hollywood actor. Guess who else they own, Mike? They own UFC, boxing. And about six months ago from Vince McMahon, they actually bought for $6.7 billion WWE Entertainment. Okay? Wow. What, what I'm saying is America, it's theater, Mike. So Ari Emanuel, and by the way, they were going to appoint uh, Elon Musk to their board. And if you see that big picture of Elon Musk looks like a whale on that yacht, he's that's with Ari Emanuel. Ari Emanuel is one of the most, I would say, the most powerful person in the United States. He's directly connected to Israel and Mossad. He runs the entertainment industry. So he owns Hollywood actors. He owns politicians because he's the one who promotes their books. He owns UFC and he owns WWE. So think about what I'm saying, Mike. Entertainment. Yeah. Bobby Kennedy's one phone call away from Ari Emanuel. When I was out in Malibu, Mike, you, you still nice to be married to a Hollywood actor. There's one uh, in Malibu. There's one restaurant called Nobu, N-O-B-U, owned by De Niro and another guy who's actually, people say, a weapons dealer for Israel. Okay. And in Nobu, there's an A-list section, Mike. I used to always get to seated there. And around every, and this is sort of this world I was brought into. You see the same old people, Mike. It is the elite of the elite. And people need to understand in the United States that everything you see apparently, Booby Kennedy, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, all of these people are in the same cabal, Mike. They don't represent us. One phone call, they get to be on mainstream media. And that is what's going on. The elites are deciding who are obvious establishment is and the obvious so-called anti-establishment so trump is the anointed quote-unquote anti-establishment so is booby kennedy so is vivek the snake or tulsi gabbard or bernie sanders 
Bernie Sanders is an Israeli citizen, by the way. All of these people are created. They're like WWE wrestling, Mike. Mad dog, whatever, versus, right, big dog over here. And this is what we're, we've gotten to. The swarm is creating these entertainers. They create people who we think are anti-establishment, but we must understand they're all part of the establishment. They didn't come bottoms up, Mike. They don't understand that the, uh, they can say, I understand the plight of everyday working people. No, you don't understand, Bobby. You came from a fucking criminal organized crime family. You don't follow the same ethics we do. You bang 30 women and cheated on your wife and she hung herself. And after she hung herself, when she was buried, Mike, he went and did his beautiful prayer over his wife. And then he exhumed the coffin and moved it to an unmarked grave. We need to understand these people are not working class American people. They're not. They're not heroes. Well, the, the, it's uh, you, okay. You're 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 making a really critical point, and it's it's obviously very very provocative. You know what you just relayed. I, I I will say this. You know, I came from a working class background. I mean, I worked at Pizza Hut when I was in high school. I loaded boxes into UPS trucks. I mopped toilets in Pizza Hut. Right. I you know I I've worked for minimum wage. You know, I had to repair my own car, you know, all, all these kinds of things, right? Working, real working class American, which, so I, the, the principle of what you're saying, I, I agree with, is that people who come from royalty or wealth, they can never understand what people like you and I have been through to become the people we are today. You're, you're an inventor, you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're a scientist, you're a creative person. I'm, I share many of those same qualities, right? I, I built the business that I have from the ground up with no investors, no loans, right? No banks. I don't owe a dime to any person, but I, I owe the truth to my readers and my viewers. And that's what I strive to do every single day. And that's it. But I, like you, I have been there. I have, I have worked late shifts till four in the morning. As a kid, I mowed lawns. You know, I've, I've done the physical labor. I know what that's like. And you're right. There's a class of people who can never know what that's like. So Mike, but, so, so what? I, yes. So what? What I'm saying is the, the what's happened is through the manipulation of Hollywood, through the manipulation of what I call the swarm, they have manipulated. So think about what you just shared with me, right? You intersect that with my journey. My dad came here with 75 bucks, right? I mowed lawns, landscaped. No one ever gave me anything, Mike. All the degrees right. I got, and you work the same way. The broad mass of That's American right. people have worked like this. Why do we look to these scumbags from above to save us? Booby Kennedy used to spit in policemen's face, okay? His family's an organized crime family. They have massive resources to reframe themselves as our fighters. John F. Kennedy, you know, blew up a ship in World War II. He was a reckless individual. He wasn't even allowed, but they make him look like it was this great American hero. RFK... His father was promoting Vietnam, but they've made him look like he's a peacenik. Bobby Kennedy's promoted as a medical freedom guy when he supported lockdowns. He has a video which says, I believe in full vaccination of all Americans. So they're taking these scumbags and they're attacking our, our own respect and dignity, Mike. It is people like you, people like us, the working people that are watching this. We should be governed. We should be our leaders. We have to break from this abusive relationship thinking these people, because they have access to media, because they have certain of a name brand that we should somehow work with them and figure them out and help them conjure. They're not, they're fundamentally of the swarm from the swarm and they serve the swarm, Mike. And this is what I'm saying that I'm, uh, I, I wanted to have this conversation with you because 
you work, you know, mopping floors. They haven't done any of that, man. None of it. Yeah, Trump, Trump was given $200 million worth of real estate from his father. If the freaking idiot just banged women all day, whatever he did and did nothing, that should have been worth just from a simple interest rate calculation, $2 billion by doing nothing, right? New York real estate, you know, it should have grown by 10%. Well, what did he do, Mike? He created a balance sheet, which was negative. This is a fool, okay? All of these people would not be successful if it wasn't from support. And in fact, the data shows that, you know, Rothschild money is what came and rescued him. He's owned by the swarm, Mike. Booby Kennedy's owned by the swarm. All of these people are owned. They cannot stand up on their own two feet. You and I tomorrow, Mike, can lose our business and we'll go start a new one, right? We know how to be That's resilient. Yeah. They don't, Mike. They're dependent on all that accoutrements that they need. Booby Kennedy's campaign manager is a former CIA person. Come on. So we have to really connect the dots. We have to break. It's like an addictive, abusive relationship, Mike. We have to break from these people. We have to start honoring what this country is built on, hardworking people who did what you did, Mike, worked in a pizza hut, did what I did, right? You know, mowed lawns, painted homes, right? I never owed anything all my whole life at MIT, Mike. I, I always uh, did uh, programming projects, right? And I don't owe anyone anything, Mike, and this is what bothers them. The reason you and I are shadow man, Mike, we can't be controlled. We're not owned, man. Yep. And so they, ha they have well, to uh, put us in well, a digital cage. Yeah, we're, we're all living in a Gaza, actually, right now. That's I mean, what, what I'm saying. And what they're doing to Gaza, they're going to do. That's, that's the point, Mike. What they're doing yep. to Gaza is what will occur in the United States. It's already occurring by the fact that our children have a shorter lifespan than the parents right now. This has been a series of policies since 1960. The vaccination policy of Kennedy, the policies of massive income inequality that creates enormous stress on people, the policies of poisoning the food in the air, right? And you keep going on and on and on. This has been an attack on the working people of this country. And whenever they have problems, Mike, the Zionists print money. They can print money. They, they own the printing press, Mike. Yeah, they, can, they, don't, they don't have to earn it. No, they don't have to earn look, shit. Look, we're, we're, we're going to wrap it up here, Dr. Shiva, but let, yeah. let me leave you with this one real quick story that's along the lines of what we're just talking about that I think will leave a smile on your face. Uh, when I graduated from college, I was $20,000 in debt, mostly credit card debt, moved to Taiwan, could barely afford to live, little rundown place in the alley on the back street in Taipei. I got myself a badge to get into the Computex trade show at the at the Taipei you know trade center, went in there, picked up all the brochures of all the Taiwan computer manufacturing companies and electronics companies, went back to my crappy Taipei apartment, did all the corrections of the grammar and English words and spelling, mailed all of those to all those companies and said, if you want somebody who can do this for you so that your literature reads in, in, in proper English and it, it's, it's great English, give me a call, boom. So much business, had my student loans paid off in a few months, and that started my career as a technical writer. So that's what I did because I had to. Yeah. You know, we're scrappers sometimes. But you're right. The wealthy who have never had to, to work hard, they would never know how to do that, you yeah. know, or anything close to that. Like you and I can invent businesses out of nothing right? on the street. right? And that, that's not – and most of our followers, most of our viewers – have that resourcefulness, that adaptation. 
but to your point there yeah there is a wealthy class that can't do that they've never done it yeah and they haven't done it mike and they want to enslave us by following their models of existence mike because they cannot do it they're highly insecure people they've never done it the only thing that they have mike access to the media playing these roles acting like they're fighting for us. That's all they have, Mike, acting like they're doing it for us. They've never, ever had to put their life on the line. They've never had nothing in their bank account having to figure this out with their own resourcefulness. They've never had to do that, Mike. And that's what this country was built on. That is what real freedom is, where you break the chains of slavery. These people want to enslave us because they're slaves. Freaking Trump is a slave to the swarm. Kennedy is a slave to the swarm. You know, Biden is a slave to the swarm. Clintons are the slave to the swarm. They're just different flavors of it. But we have to stop bowing down to them, Mike. This is this concept of Zionism, Brahminism. It's the upper caste. And we have to honor ourselves, Mike. And that's what the movement for truth, freedom, and health is. That's what our campaign is about. And that's why so many people, even though they try to suppress what we're talking about here, Mike, people are getting it because at the heart of people, they know truth, man. They know what real love is. They know what real fortitude is. They know what real courage is. And we got to stop promoting these guys like Kennedy or Trump or Biden, all of these people. We have to, it's cutting the umbilical cord. We have to honor the working people of the world, of, of people who actually struggle. People have had to face real indignities and rise above it, not fake stuff. And, 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 pe and people who are about to lose their life savings too in the next uh, uh, engineered debt collapse. Look, Dr. Shiva, we got to wrap it up there. This, this is, I mean, I appreciate your time. This has been uh, a very, uh, intriguing interview, provocative interview. You know, I'm, I'm sure uh, I, I will give an opportunity for some of the people you named to respond if they if they wish to do so. Uh, you know, you 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 said some pretty charged things, but I want the audience to know, I I'm I'm not censoring any of this. You know, you I invited you here to speak your mind. You've done so, and I think a lot of what you said is going to be very convincing to a lot of people. Yeah, Mike, and in closing, you know, people should go to, you know, again, I believe the future is offline, Mike, because of what's going on social media. So people can go to Shiva numeral four president.com. And when you go to that website, number one, you can volunteer. Notice I haven't even asked for money here, Mike. You know, I, I, I graciously ask you talking about donations. But when people donate to our campaign, Mike, we actually give them knowledge. We give them books. We give them course material and how to start thinking about this from a systems perspective. This is uh -huh. about building a movement beyond left and right, Mike. When people go to that website, they can download a flyer. It's a one-page flyer. They can print it in their libraries, on their printers, and they can hand it out. It explains to people who the swarm is, how these people are killing our children, and how we get out of it. It gives a solution and the real problem, Mike. But we're building a ground movement, Mike. That is the only way we're going to save the United States, for that matter, the working people across the world from this kind of butchering that's happening in Palestine or the killing of children that's happening slowly in the United States. We have to build a yeah. bottoms up movement and we have to break from these people like the Kennedys, the Trumps, the Sanders, all these people. They're the fake, not so obvious. They're the, the not so obvious establishment. We have to cut our cord, Mike, but thank you. I'm glad we had this okay. conversation. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you being able to take the time to go through all of this. We've covered a lot of ground here today. And your website is shiva4president.com, as, as we gave out earlier. Yep. Um, thank you so much. I, I'll, I'll be interested to see the comments on this interview. And I look forward to speaking with you again as we move forward here, because things are going to get very interesting. Will you come back on? Definitely, Mike. Yeah, we should, we should do this and invite any of these people for debates, man. I'll take any of them on.
Vivek the Snake, Tulsi Gabbard, oh, oh. Booby Kennedy, okay. Trump, all of them. Invite them to have a debate on Zionism. Are they willing to do all that? Right. So. We will we will extend that offer. Yep. We will extend that offer and see see if anybody wants to join us and, and do that. Great. Be well, Mike. Be okay. Thank all right. you. Best thank you so much. Take care. Bye bye. Be well. And thank all of you for watching today. Again, uncensored here at